0: Does that sound all right? Can you hear it in the back? Yeah? No? Get it closer to my mic now. Can you hear it? It definitely doesn't sound as good as Ben or Patrick or any of the amazing musicians who stand up here every week, right? They're awesome. I can do this, and I can change the chord. Yeah? There it is. Okay, so this sounds okay, doesn't it? It didn't sound that different. Oh, there it is. Sounds much worse, doesn't it? I tighten that top string. Well, let's loosen this string. See if that helps. Nope. This might just be me. Might be the guitar. However, the reality is if there's the right tension on these strings and the right person holding the guitar and playing it with the right tension, it sounds really good, right? You take the tension away, the string gets floppy, it doesn't sound good at all. You tighten the string too much, you put on too much tension, and the string will break potentially or just sound awful. See, the lack of tension just makes life and reality boring, and, and we need tension. Too much tension, though, breaks us. The right amount of tension is beautiful. One of our values here at Park Community Church is to embrace tension. It's to Honor the mysteries of life and it's to explore the gray areas of life. There's a lot of tension in life, right? Amen? There's tension in our religious world, there's tension in our political world, there's tension in our social world, there's tension in our families, there's tension in our neighborhoods, there's tension in our workplaces, there's tension in life, and some of this is really good, necessary tension that needs to be held by us. Some of it isn't so good, it isn't so pleasant, and it needs to be solved and addressed. The reality is that at Park Community Church, while there are, there are definitive things in Scripture and in life and in faith, there is black and white. God is holy. We sang about it this morning. Amen? Amen? But the holiness of God and the wreckage that is us, there's a tension between those two things. And there's so many different tensions. And over the next month and a half here at Park Community Church, we want to find the right, the, the biblical balance of some of the tensions that we live with. Things like grace and truth. It's not one or the other, it's grace and truth. Things like, we are sinners by nature and choice, we say in our statement of faith, yet the Bible calls us saints, holy, beloved, righteous, blameless. That's that's what the Bible says about you. That if you're in Jesus, you are blameless and holy and without blemish. Do you feel that way? You know your own heart? You know your own actions? There's a tension there. Sinner and saint. What does that mean? What does that look like? God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. And then why is the world the way that it is? Am I responsible for anything? If God is sovereign and in control of all things, does it matter what I do? Am I just a little puppet in his game? There's a tension there. We are physical beings, we have bodies, we have flesh, and yet there's something supernatural and spiritual about our existence, something that we can't quite grasp onto. We're emotional beings. Yes, Minnesotans. (laughs) You have emotions. We're going to try and pry a few of those open over the next month and a half. We're also rational beings. We're not just emotional, we're also rational. But we're not just rational, we're also emotional. These two things go together. There's a a tension there. The Bible calls us to accept one another. And the Bible calls us to repent. Acceptance and repentance. It's not one or the other, there's a healthy tension between the two. We care about theology, the study of God, it's really important. But also anthropology, the study of mankind, and psychology, the study of our minds and how our minds work. It's a a both and. There's a, a this and a that. We care about the study of God and we care about the study of humanity. There is right, biblical, theological truth that we ought to care about. And then there is real, lived experience, which sometimes seems to collide with right, real, biblical truth. Correct? Some tension there. We have to find how to hold those two things in tension. There, there, there's, uh, there's uh, I'm going ex- to explain to you my little sermon series here and try to justify it with Tim Keller. Some of you know who Tim Keller is. He passed away not too long ago, but if you're like a church person, um, he's like the evangelical pope, some have called him, like the Protestant pope. <laughs> Um, he has this term in his book on preaching called topogetical preaching. He says that sometimes, in, and this is a valid way to preach, that, that we take topics in life and scripture, and then we exegete scripture on it. And so even a this and that tension is, some of you have grown up in ter- churches or you've heard pastors say that the only way to preach is expositional, verse by verse through books of the Bible. And topical preaching is watery, and it's self-helpy, and it's non-Christian. Tim Keller himself says, well, we can do topogenical preaching. We can take a topic and ed- exegete scripture on it. And there, there, there's a this and that even with our preaching style, right? With our worship style, with our gathering, there's, there's different perspectives. There's tensions. Like, we need to unfold God's word. That's why we've gathered together today. But is there only one way to do that or is there multiple ways? There's some this and that to life. And so what I want to tell you is over the next... Month and a half, I'm going to do some topogetical preaching. So, those of you who lean towards like expository preaching is the only way, I would ask you to, with me, embrace the tension between exegeting scripture in different, various ways. Amen? Some this and that. So, we're going to do a topogetical series trying to find the proper biblical tension that you and I feel in so many areas of life that I think will help us to grow to experience some health and some wholeness as a body as we stumble forward together with Jesus. So that's where we're going over the next several weeks. And then uh, those of you who have been around for a while and you're like, well, you stopped at John 18 when we were preaching through the book of John. And I really like the the expository preaching in the book of John. Are we going to just not finish the book of John? We are. We're going to do it around Holy Week. So John 18, 19, 20, and 21. That's kind of going to We're going to take that passage of Scripture and kind of unpack it over the weeks around Easter. But until then, we're going to do this sermon series. And as we do that, today I want to look at the this and that of behaviors and beliefs. Behaviors and beliefs. And as we consider that today, we're going to consider the tension that we feel around our behaviors and beliefs. We're going to consider the ditch that we fall into. And then the this and that reality that we need to embrace as we think about behaviors and beliefs beliefs. So the tension that we feel, let's start there. Romans chapter 7. Could you stand as I read our text, one of our texts for today? We're going to be in a couple other passages, but let's start here. Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 25. This is the Apostle Paul writing in the first century. there's a whole long conversation going here, and we're not going to master the book of Romans this morning. But as I read this, I want you to feel and hear the tension in the Apostle Paul. Verse 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to understand you and to experience you in a greater way this morning. And I, hope, I pray that you would help us to understand ourselves and our motivations and, and our beliefs and our behaviors in a greater way this morning. That we could bring it all to you and be transformed that we would receive and experience the abundant life that you, Jesus, told us that you came to give. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Now, if we're all honest with ourselves and if we just slow down and read this, we feel this tension, right? I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate. For some of us this morning, that feels very close. You're like, yep, I know exactly what he's talking about. Others of you, we, we may have seared our conscience pretty well, and like the things that we do that we ought not to do, they just become so routine and rudimentary, and we're so accustomed to them that we're like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. But ask someone close to you, and like, yeah, you keep doing that thing that I hate, Right? <laughs> We, we, we've got these behaviors, each one of us, that, that if we're honest, they drive us nuts. They drive other people nuts, and they would be classified what the Bible calls as sin, which means missing the mark. It, it's not righteousness. It's not holiness. It's not loving others. It's not loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, our neighbor, and our neighbor as ourselves, but it's really loving myself. It's caring about myself. It's self-focus. It's self-pride and arrogance, whatever it is. Maybe our self-pride and arrogance t- turns into like boastful ego, ego, right? Or maybe it's more subtle. It's like, woe is me, and it's, it, it's kind of deflating. I don't, I don't know what our pride and ego look like collectively, but it's all over the map. And, and, and the point here is that we resonate with this tension, this, this behavior that is unwanted, this week, I'm doing some work with a group of people, and we were talking about this, uh, this ministry that works on unwanted behaviors, and we had to take this assessment to figure out our unwanted behaviors. And at the end of the assessment, it, well, it, it tells you what yours are, and then it gives you a list here of 117. <laughs> and then at the bottom, it says others, and it leaves open space. And I'm not going to read you mine. I'm just going to read you, well, I don't know. I mean, all of us are like, well, what if I'm all 117? What do I do with that? Here are some of them. Fear of failure. Fear of intimacy. Fear of rejection. Fear of success. Gluttony. Gossip. Hoarding. Hopelessness. Insecurity. Isolation. Withdrawal. Jealousy. Envy. Anxiety, anorexia, adultery, excessive drinking, excessive eating, excessive shopping, excessive exercise, phobias, physical abuse, perfectionism, PTSD, stress, suicidal thoughts, loss of relationships, manipulation, masturbation, materialism, mental illness, debt. Being defined by my past, depression, divorce, emotional dependency, codependency, food addiction, gambling, racism, rage, self-worth, being too high or too low, self-sabotage, sexual addiction, smoking, dipping, vaping, I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you're like me and you're the 117 type. I just wrote down here on other, the, th- this, this is the mess of humanity that is in any given room at any given moment. And so this is the mess of humanity that's in this room at this given moment. I also want to remind you that our holy, loving, perfect God is here, and he chose to be among us. Amen? Isn't that glorious? We're going to get to some good news as well this morning. I don't want it to be all bad, but I do want to acknowledge these these struggles, right? This tension that we feel, like the Apostle Paul says, for I do not understand my actions. Why do I keep criticizing other people? Why do I keep judging other people? Whatever it is for you, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate, and I feel trapped. And so that's the tension. Now, the ditch that we fall into. This isn't completely true, but it's very common that as human beings and and in churches and religion, we generally fall into one of two ditches. Either we, we address the behavior, or we just go to the beliefs. We oftentimes separate these two, right? Like, I have these unwanted behaviors. I need to change my behavior, change my behavior, change my behavior. It's behavior modification or behavior management or even image management or modification. Like, I just, I don't want to do these things, or at least I don't want other people to know that I do these things because they're not approving of these things. So therefore, I'm going to change. I want to change what I do. That's that's one ditch that we can fall into. Another ditch is just trust God. Just trust God. Just, just have faith. Just believe. Just believe that He forgives you, and don't worry that much about change. These can be ditches that we fall into. I, I think my observation, being a church kid my whole life, is that the church primarily in America has majored on the behavioral ditch. Like, just read your Bible and pray more. Do these behaviors. Replace your unwanted behaviors with wanted behaviors. And and. To a certain extent, yes, right? There's this great skit with, um, what's the guy's name? It's on SNL. This lady comes in to see a therapist, Bob Newhart. And she's sharing with him some phobias and some fears. And, and, and he listens to her and he says, stop it. That's his advice as a therapist. Stop it. Yeah, like, I read comments, and some people were like, man, that worked better for me than all of the therapy that I've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on. Like, I remember that at least when I'm having these negative thoughts, just stop it. But also, it's not totally holistic and well-formed, right? Like, it's funny, and there's a little bit of truth. Like, there is this, this side of, like, our behaviors, what if we just stop it, Right? But also, that's not very deep. And and there's a tension here between what we believe and what we do and what we believe drives what we do. Some of you probably grew up hearing this in the church, like don't drink or smoke or swear or chew or go with boys or girls who do. Right? Very behavioral modification. You can tell somebody's holiness by their external behavior. If they drink or smoke or swear or chew, well, then they're a bad person if they don't do those things, then they're a good person, right? Pretty shallow, this behavioral modification thing, address the behavior. My, my personal confession of sin for the first 37 years of my life, and I'm, I'm sure this isn't totally true, but this is how I, like, as I process my life and think about, there's been times in my life where I've been, like, really convicted about my behavior. Why do I... do I do the things that I don't want to do and I can't do the things that I really want to do and I've gone to people to confess my sin and to seek help and more often than not it's been the ditch of behavior modification or the ditch of just cheap belief so I've had people tell me well just stop just change your behavior stop doing that thing and read your bible and pray for 37 years it hasn't worked I'm 39 now so I'm going to give you the last two years of my life in a minute So 37 years, that didn't work. The other thing that I got was, well, don't worry about it. Just trust God that he forgives you. Just believe. Just believe. Change your behavior or believe. And it was like, and and I'm pretty sure about this. I'm sure somewhere along the way in the first 37 years, there were a few wiser people who did a better job. But for the most part, it was stop and change or just believe. But in the last two years, I've had some people, when I've confessed sin, that they've, they've had the audacity to ask me, well, why did you do that? Why do you do that? Let's explore. Let's get underneath the behavior. Let's get underneath the surface. And it wasn't until somebody started asking me why that I've actually began to address my, my behaviors, and it's kind of this combo of belief and behavior, right? But in order to change behavior, you got to get deeper. you got to get underneath your beliefs. David Benner, in a book called Sacred Companions, has this great quote. He says, changes in our behavior are important. But our motives for what we do are even more important. Remember how Jesus structures the Sermon on the Mount with the formula, you have heard it said, but I say to you, and this is Matthew chapter 5 through 7. We're not going to spend time there today, but just for context, Matthew 5 through 7. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And he goes on to say, the standard Jesus sets is the state of the heart. Motives count. Private thoughts count. The inner self counts and, in fact, is the primary focus of the transformation that Jesus calls conversion. Jesus isn't out just to modify our behavior. He's out to change our beliefs. And the two of these do work together, right? So sometimes, yes, we need to address the behavior. Other times, we need to address the belief. But generally, a more holistic biblical way is to kind of put those two together and to hold the tension Yes, your behaviors matter, and your beliefs matter, and the two of these play together. So don't fall into the ditch, church family. Don't fall into the ditch of behavioral modification or just cheap, easy belief, cheap grace. We need to hold the tension between beliefs and behaviors. And so I want to talk a little bit this morning, as we close down here, about the this and that that we need to embrace, the this and that that we need to embrace, Go a couple of pages to the left here, and let's continue with Paul's words in Romans. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's because it'll also be translated as your rational service. Like that's the, the Greek word. Spiritual worship sometimes just seems like, oh, I'm spiritual, right? He's saying, no, this is your rational service. This is, this is what you should do. There is some behavior. You should, you should go and present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, set apart and before God. This is your spiritual worship. This is your rational service. Do not be conformed to this world But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so this passage, it's reminding us here that there's this tension between behavior and beliefs, and part of the way that we change behavior is to address our beliefs, right? I, I love this passage because there's even a tension in this passage between Passive and active, right? That's one of the tensions that we've talked about here at our church, and we'll continue to talk about it. That, that our faith is both passive and active. And some people will point to this passage and say, No, our faith, our growth, the way to change our behaviors is all our activity. It's all of what we do. See, we have to go and present our body as a living sacrifice. But then there's this passive nature. What is a sacrifice? It's passive, it's upon the altar, it's for God to do with it what He will. And so this passage is calling us into doing this hard soul work of bringing ourselves to God in worship, laying our whole body, mind, heart, and soul upon the altar, and saying, God, do with me what you will. Verse 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world. So being conformed to the world would mean that we're embracing the, the behaviors of the world, which as a follower of Christ, many of those behaviors are unwanted because they contradict God's word, but they're not unwanted because they contradict God's word, they're unwanted because God's word gives us the flourishing in life. And so when we are living our lives out of congruence with God's word, we are not experiencing the flourishing life that God desires for us. And so here Paul is saying that we need to be not conform to the ways of the world, not give in to the unwanted behaviors which wreak havoc on our soul and steal and rob joy from us, but we need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Now this is just a fascinating thing to consider as, as like we're growing in understanding the mind. Neuroscience is an amazing thing and I think helps us understand the scriptures in a much more well-rounded light. So last weekend, David Brickner um, in the mental health seminar talked about, like, renewing the mind. And, and he gave some of the background to the neuroscience. I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a therapist. As you can tell, I'm like a pastor trying to work out my therapy in the pulpit. You're welcome. <laughs> um, he, so if you weren't there, you should have been. Because Sorry, I just it on all of you. Um Sorry. Andrew unplugged. Here it is. Don't should on people. Don't say, you should do this. Right? It's just unhelpful. You really missed a great opportunity to be there. And so many of you want it. Like, those of you who were there were like, I want to listen to that again. And those of you who weren't able to make it were like, can you do it again? And so we're going to do it again. We will announce it soon. We're going to pick another Saturday. We're going to do it again. Same content. David Brickner is going to come back. Run through all this. If you went to the first seminar, we would love to have you volunteer to watch kids for the second seminar so that some of those who have kids can come. All right. So we'll communicate that more later on. That's all a rabbit trail so that I can give you my source for this analogy and I asked David about it and he said I got that source from another source who got it from another source. So that's the, that's the source history on this. The, the, the neuroscience, the, the, the brain thing, David talked about like, our, our brains develop these, these pathways, right? Our brains have pathways. So when we, like when we feel stressed, when we feel anxious, when we feel something like we, we develop a certain way, we develop habits of how we deal with life, whether it's good or bad, pleasant or unpleasant. David said that our brain is, is like a path. If I'm stressed, and when I'm stressed, I do this thing, I develop a pathway in my brain. I start to feel stress, I do that thing. I feel stress, I do that thing. I feel stress, I do that thing. And we become very accustomed to and familiar with this path. Maybe your stress leads you to an unwanted behavior and you've developed a well-worn path there. Well, what the scripture is saying here, what Paul is saying is that we can change our behavior by renewing our mind. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so it takes discipline. It takes work. It, cha- it takes changing how we think. It takes addressing our beliefs to, to wear another path. And, and the more that we say, if you want to go to the left of this and develop a new path, if you keep walking that through those woods over and over again, eventually this well-worn path is going to start to have weeds and stuff grow back on it. It's going to be less visible. That's recognizable. Your, your automatic deciding to walk down that path is going to be less automatic and you're going to start to develop a new path. That's how the brain works. That's what brain science is telling us. And isn't it amazing that 2,000 years ago, that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't keep walking down that well-worn path to your unwanted behaviors, but be transformed. Change is possible. Behavioral change is possible, by the renewal of your mind, develop a new path, a new neural pathway. You have to develop that over and over and over and over again. We have to hold these two things in tension, behaviors and beliefs. I do what I do because of what I believe. And then when I do what I do, it reinforces my beliefs. The two of these work together. Another passage that I want us to consider this morning is Luke chapter 6, verses. 43 through 45. Flip over there with me. Luke six, forty three through 45. This is Jesus in the midst of a long teaching here. He says, "...for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit." For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes plucked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." So Jesus here himself seems to be teaching us that there's some tension here between our beliefs and our behaviors, that that the fruit, the things that are visible in our lives to others come from a deeper place within the soul, right? He says in verse 45 that out of the abundance or out of the overflow of the heart, the internal being, the mouth speaks. Our behaviors are a result of our internal world. This is an imagery that David showed with us uh, at the seminar last Saturday and then a group of guys were working through this this last week and it's the iceberg analogy, right? The visible things that other people can see and they could be wanted behaviors or unwanted behaviors. We were working on the unwanted stuff and so you can make this positive and be like, you know, put all your good things up above the iceberg and then what are the underneath beliefs that cause me to do the good things? We were addressing unwanted behaviors and there's a, there's a few of them up there and this is, this is what we're called to, right? This is essentially what Jesus is saying. That from what's underneath the surface, the invisible, the heart, that's what drives the visible, the external. I want to give you one one other analogy or way of thinking about this. This is similar to the iceberg analogy. And if I was more of an artist, I would have drawn like a heart coming out. But this is called, this is an exercise called fruit to root. So if you think about an apple tree, right you you see the apples those are like our behaviors the visible things and this I'm not an artist so just bear with my little illustration here so so the behaviors are the things that other people see and experience and then and then if if you follow it down there's some feelings and emotions sometimes they're expressed for many many scandinavian minnesotans oftentimes they're suppressed and you think you're doing great cuz you've been suppressing stuff for years just wait it happened to me two years ago. It was awful. I've been trying to figure out emotions and feelings ever since, and I just want to keep suppressing them, but people tell me I shouldn't. Okay, so, so your behaviors, you can follow that down. You, you take your fruit and follow it down to the root, and then you'll get underneath, and you'll find your behaviors. So I'm going to start with swearing. That's a, that's a behavior. It's a visible thing that other people see, they hear. Now, Everyone in this room has a different understanding of swearing. Some of you might be like, not a big deal. Some of you might be like, that is the ultimate sin. I grew up in the church, and I know you don't drink, smoke, or chew, or swear, or go with boys or girls who do. That's one of the four. <laughs> so for years, and I'm not, I'm not up here trying to justify my own sin, um, but for years, 37 years, I thought swearing was one of the worst sins. I never did it, and I judged other Christians who did it. And then about two years ago, there were a couple occasions, and we can have a different conversation about swearing another time. This isn't about swearing. I do want to tell you, though, when the Bible talks about let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth or let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, sometimes really legalistic Christians who really care about the external show, they think that that's about the words that we use. It's not about the words that we use. It's about slander. It's about malice. It's about language that tears people and community down. It has nothing to do with the actual word different time, different place. So anyway, a couple years ago, there were a few occasions where I was sitting with some people who know me really well and a few swears came out of my mouth and it was uncharacteristic of me. And as I sat with a couple different groups of people and this happened, it was received differently by different people. Some people were like, oh, that's interesting. That's out of character. What caused you to do that? Other people were like, don't do that. And and I want to tell you that I found a lot of help in, I want to say healing, but maybe not, I don't know, I'm still trying to figure this out, I don't know if I'm healed or not, but I think I'm on a journey towards health by people who are like, what caused that, right? Because Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what caused that? Again, these two responses, one is behavioral modification, well, good Christians, don't swear you should stop that, pastor. And I felt so dismissed, like something's going on internally. Can we care about that? And so a couple of people sat with me and we walked through this. Well, what were the feelings and the emotions when, when you did that? Like, 37 years you've been a sp- suppressing anger and fear. And now in your weakness, you showed it. Oh, I have anger and I have fear. For 37 years, I thought I tricked you all. Now it came out. And so we follow the fruit, follow it down, okay, that, that there's some anger and some fear going on. What's underneath the anger and the fear? And I realize you may not be able to see this super well. It's small in order to fit on. But I, I had this feeling in these moments that the people I was with, that they were never listening to or respecting me. And that some of the decisions that were being made was going to destroy our family. And this has nothing to do with Brittany, but she was there for all this. And so, wrestling through this, like, that's the root. That's the belief. And so, Christians who are like, just don't swear, I'm like, yeah, that's not going to do anything to change me. We've got to get deeper. What's going on? And, and there were some stressful things happening in my life and my family and extended family and that, that I just had to dig deeper and get to the belief. Now, there's lies and truth underneath there, right? Like, is this true that whoever this person was, I'm not going to tell you more details because I don't want you to know that much about my life, but that they never listened to me or respect me? No. But in this moment, yeah, that was true. And is it true that their decisions were going to destroy the family? Probably not, but it's going to have a big impact. So not stopping at the surface but going deeper allowed us to have this more robust conversation about what really needed to happen. Let me give you another example. Isolation. Isolation is a fruit that someone may show. You can think of it as ghosting. If you've ever texted someone and they've never texted you back or you've been texting, maybe you're isolating. Why? Why would somebody isolate? That's a behavior you should just stop. Just respond. Just go out. Just be with people. Well, what's the potential feeling and emotion going on there? Loneliness or shame. And those are God-given emotions. That's part of what might be felt in isolation. What's underneath that? What's the root? What's the belief? Well, if people really knew me, they'd reject me. So therefore, I'm going to pull away. I'm going to isolate. Because if people knew what was going on in here, or if people knew that I wasn't that funny, or that I wasn't that clever, or that I wasn't that helpful, or that I wasn't that kind, they would reject me and rejection hurts. So therefore, I'm going to put up a wall. I'm going to isolate so that I can never get rejected. And and isn't that the belief that needs to be addressed, not just the behavior of isolation? And and these, they work together, right? It's not one or the other. This is how we need to follow our behaviors to get down to our beliefs. One more. I'll give you a positive one because you can do this positive things too. Preaching. This is a behavior I do almost every week, except for last week. Thank you, Mike. That was a great sermon. Preaching. It's a visible behavior that I do most Sundays. Let's follow it. That's the fruit. Let's follow it down to the root. What are my feelings and emotions? It depends on the week and the text. Sometimes I'm super excited. Other times I'm like, ah, do I really have to preach that? I don't want to preach. I don't want to go to work today. Some of you don't want to go to work on any given day, right? Sometimes that's true for a pastor on a Sunday. It's like, ah, I got to go to work. I guess I'll preach. See what God does. But here's the belief that drives me to regardless of my feelings that God's word is life-giving and it needs to be proclaimed. That's why I stand up here week in and week out regardless of how I feel and preach. There's, there's this root system of belief in me that believes that this needs to be proclaimed because it gives life. And so regardless of how I feel, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to preach. That is a visible fruit. And then what God does with that fruit, I don't know. But this is how behaviors and beliefs work and how we need to hold these things together. And again, underneath the surface, in our beliefs, there's, there's lies and truths. And what we need to do together as a community, as Christians, is, is get under the surface. Get down to the roots. Get to the bottom part of the iceberg. And say, what, what are we believing about God? About ourselves? and about others. And if we're believing true things about God and self and others, that gives us the potential to produce good fruit. If we're believing lies or wrong things, bad things, about God or self or others, that's going to produce bad fruit. Listen to Jesus's words. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor Again, does a bad tree bear good fruit? And, and I don't think we should be too quick to say, well, there's good people and bad people, good people and bad people. We're all a, m- m- like, jumbled up mixture of this, right? And I think if you look at John chapter 15 where Jesus talks about pruning, he, he talks about how Jesus will prune branches that are producing fruit and he'll cut away branches that aren't producing fruit and I think we are all a mix of this. We have some branches that are producing good and healthy fruit, and God is tending to those branches. He's pruning them so they would produce more in good fruit. And then we have withered branches, dying branches, that God in his grace and goodness is cutting away so that the nourishment could come out, so that the fruit could come out as positive good fruit, not negative bad fruit. So this is what God is doing. Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure in his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to address your unwanted behaviors, we've got to dig deeper. What, what's in our heart? What's underneath the surface? What are our beliefs? Jesus tells us here that whatever we treasure in our heart, this idea of heart in Scripture, it's the inner man, it's the inner woman, it's our emotions and our feelings and our thoughts, it's, it's the brain and the heart, kind of the center of our will and our being. So, church family, the only way to change a behavior is to tie behaviors and beliefs together and say, God, what's in my heart? What am I treasuring Is it you or is it the things of the world? The good person out of the good treasure in their heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure in their heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, the hands do, the eyes look. So church family, listen to me this morning. As we all deal with unwanted behaviors, it's a It's a room full of messy people. The question for us this morning is, do I treasure Jesus in my heart? Am I storing up his abundance, his treasure, and is he overflowing in my actions? And the honest answer is probably yes and no. And so every week when we gather at Park Community Church, we want to remind one another to treasure Jesus to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to renew our minds on who God is and what God has done in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we come to the table to be reminded that that we have all the stuff that we're carrying and we want to release it, release it to God. And then in, in exchange, we want to receive the perfection of God in the person of Jesus Christ. As we eat the bread, it reminds us that Jesus' life was lived for us, an example and a sacrifice. As we drink the cup, it reminds us that Jesus' blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins and that we now receive all of his righteousness, his holiness. And as we fix our minds on him and renew our mind on what is truest about us over time in community our behaviors will begin to change let me pray lord jesus we thank you for living an exemplary life a life above reproach a life with only good fruit you lived the life that we are called to live but without your spirit are incapable of living. However, you died in our place, taking our sin upon yourself, becoming unrighteousness and in exchange giving your righteousness to us. So now we are adopted, we are made new, we are baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we have a new nature. We've been given a good life root system that will produce good fruit. And so we come to you again this morning wanting to treasure you above all else. That out of the overflow of our inner man, our inner woman, would come the things of God. May you do that in us and through us, Lord Jesus. For your glory, our good, and the advancement of your gospel, we pray.